Imagine having a father who you trusted, dedicated your life to, and shared some of the most important years of your life's development, only to find out that he was fake the whole time. Imagine how devastated you would be if that same father told you that there was no place found for you where you had faithfully served with blood, sweat, and tears for seven years, only to have some of your deepest dreams dashed against the rocks. I'm Norman Brown, and I'm the author of the book entitled Among the Wolves. For seven years, I endured one of the toughest training periods of my life. Ironically, it wasn't until it was over that I realized what happened during that time. And that is what I felt when I discovered that I had been in a false prophet's domain. Or, in other words, I was among the wolves. Among the wolves will challenge you to see when you have encountered a false prophet, false doctrine, or just plain error. It exposes some of the most prominent cults that exist in the world today, and by the Holy Spirit, it will bring you to a place of healing and forgiveness. Among the Wolves is available on Amazon.com for the Kindle app, which may be downloaded on almost all electronic devices. My prayer is that you will find freedom from bitterness, hate, anger, and unbelief as you read this book. Get your copy today. We're continuing on our conversation about the uh, racial divides and discrimination and things of that nature. And some really interesting things just came out in a conversation. Like, what was that you were talking about a little bit, Eric, Erica? Hmm. About the babies and stuff like that? Oh, mixed babies? Oh, yeah. I was just saying that uh, mixed race babies are, like, so cute. And, like, when biracial couples get together and they have a family like they're so beautiful like <laughs> yeah. so it's just like i don't know i just feel like people need to come together because it's like obviously like god creates these like beautiful children from like two races coming together that mm-hmm. make it different you, you know I, it makes me think because you know how at once upon a time it wasn't unlawful to um to like um marry within like the family you know like the early days of civilization mm-hmm. where adam and eve first started having children you know it was basically brother and sister marriages blah 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 because the gene pool was so diverse but over the years as it became more watered down you know then he forbid incest because you know the genetic similarities were too close so you have mm-hmm. you know disabilities and stuff like that but i wonder if it's a similar thing this is just postulation i don't really have any evidence or any scientific but i wonder if it's a similar thing with race like if a well, or ethnicity i wonder if a certain ethnicity can actually reproduce itself into um danger zone and so possibly interracial is something to remedy that you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. like because if the races or ethnicity just like repopulates with its own ethnicity for so long i wonder if there's like a limit to that it just makes me wonder I you mean- know I obviously we're humans, we're different, but I know, <laughs> I know with dogs, like dogs that are purebred, they have more health issues, mm. but dog, but uh, dogs that are mixed, they actually are like healthier. Yeah. So I am just speculating. Yeah, I have yeah. no idea if that applies to humans, yeah. but I could totally see what you were saying that potentially it could be like genetically, um, bringing two people that are genetically very different together, how you could probably get the best of both. And, mm-hmm. you know, that yeah. makes sense. That's interesting. I never heard of that before or even yeah, thought of that. I never wow. thought of it. No. Okay. Um, so we were about to talk about something on our second question. Um, <clears throat> and basically, the question is, what's the most egregious racially centered situation that you found yourself in before? Mm. Um so, Erica, I want to ask you the question first. <laughs> so, Norman asked me this question on the break, and I was, I was just like, honestly, I don't, I don't have an answer. Like, I don't, I've mm. never been, I've never been in a situation where I, it's been a problem. Like, I've ever had a problem. So, I, I was like laughing at him. I was like, it's white privilege, straight up. Like that, I do not have. Like, I can't tell you. Mm-hmm. you know, a situation or a story. So you never had a situation where uh African-American was driving down the street and they said, No, I've never had that. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it done to African-American people. 
around me. Like I, I no, but I'm saying to you, <laughs> to me, no, calling you a name or something like that, mm-hmm. driving down the street, calling your name or something. Oh, like I mean, that. I think Same as a name. woman, I deal with that. Like I understand oh, so you, that as a woman, but not yeah. necessarily because I'm white. I, yeah. and, right. But that's just like I'm just you. You get used to it at some point. Like cat calls, whistles, like that's oh, just yeah. okay. that's something that is like regular. Yeah. Uh, so. Are you like thinking that that's uh do you feel like someone acknowledging your beauty in that way is equivalent to the a racial slur? Um I don't know. I I can't I couldn't say. Okay. Really. I mean, it does I will say it does feel demeaning and it feels irritating like you're being mm. harassed. Um and also just like um it makes you uncomfortable in the space that you're in, which I'm sure th- that's how you feel too. Mm-hmm. Uncomfortable in the space you're in when someone drives by and yells that derogatory mm-hmm. name, like out mm-hmm. the window, you know, just. Mm-hmm. So ironically, there's only been, and I think, and one of them happened within the last year and a half to me, actually where someone yelled out of a window and they said, you know, like mm-hmm. that. And I was like, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, and, and the thing about it, that <laughs> like, makes me, why? the thing that makes me the most upset about that is like, you're driving away. Right. You're not even saying it in my face. Right. Like, you're, you're not even man enough to come and say that in my face. That is so you're funny. not even bold enough. You're a punk, basically. You know yeah. what I'm saying? But you want to try to, you want to try to say something like that about me, yeah. Um, you know, whatever. And I'm just like, whatever, man. Like, <laughs> so <laughs> I just keep on. I just like whatever. You know, it's like I laugh at people like that. You know, because I'm like, first of all, even though I might not like the spirit that's behind what you did, but what is that to me? So what? You calling me a name? Whatever. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to keep on walking. I'm going to keep on living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't even matter to me. But that shows how ignorant you are. Because mm-hmm. if you could say that about me, who's done nothing about, nothing to you, rather, I haven't posed any threat to you or anything like, like that, what does that say about you yeah. as a person? So those kind of people, and it goes to what you were saying earlier, Talk about what you said earlier, and you know about the whole why a person could still be racist or whatever. Wait, I'm sorry. You're talking about people living in a certain neighborhood. Oh yeah, I I was just saying <clears throat> that like I think that like people that are super live in super isolated communities and mm. have never seen an African American person before, and they have a certain view of African Americans, and they are like raising their children in that view. I just think that that is like the perfect breeding breeding ground for racism and mm. for violence. And it's just like, yeah. it, it's just ignorance really. Cause you've never even interacted with these people and you've, you've grown up with this idea of who they are and what they are. Yeah. What do you mean? These people now I'm messing with you. <laughs> <laughs> Check yourself. Oh. <laughs> <Sorry. Repent. Repent. laughs> oh man. See, here's the thing that people don't realize. If you don't have a diverse group of friends, this is what you're missing out on. You're missing out on fun. Mm-hmm. We can have fun with stuff where we know we're not racist or bigots or whatever. And we just have fun with stuff that we can say, okay, well, you know, like, like, uh, Matt said the other day, I, I asked this Chinese guy to teach me how to cook Chinese, but now I got Alex. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, when you, it's just like, you can have fun with stuff knowing that there is no kind of, um, bigotry or discrimination type of thing behind what you just said. Right. You know, and it's just about having fun with knowing the diversity that you have around you. And everybody's okay with their diversity and they love that. They love the fact that we can talk about, um, you're the one, you're going to cook us Chinese because obviously you're Chinese. <laughs> so cook us some Chinese food, man. We need some of that. Yeah. It would be the same as asking someone that's African American, hey, what's up? Some soul food, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and, but then you meet somebody like me. I don't even know how to cook that. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> you feel me? Like, it's just funny because like, 
um, like even when it comes to like the cooking or the eating of certain things, mm-hmm. I mean, that's actually something that if you look in the history of America, certain things came out of slavery. The eating habits of African-Americans came out of slavery. Mm-hmm. They were thrown scraps of stuff. They were forced to eat pigs, stuff like that. You know, everything from the, so, as some say, from the Ruta to the Tuta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But fortunately, I thank God I lived at a time where I wasn't forced to eat all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Because I tell you, I could never envision eating chitlins. <laughs> that's just not on the list of things I want to eat. <laughs> and I remember smelling those things growing up at times because I was around my family who's from the South. Yeah. And I was like, ew, yo, that's nasty. <laughs> I don't want to eat that. I don't even want to smell it. Why would I want to eat it? <laughs> so anyway, um, but again, you know, these are things that when you look at situations, um, and, you know, different things that occurred throughout history that caused people to do certain things, um, to live in certain places, to eat certain kinds of food, stuff like that. So, so to that question, what's, what's the most egregious thing you've ever had happen to you racially, Justin? <laughs> I don't know if I've had a lot of overtly, um, Racial discrimination committed against me. I would say it would, pro- it would probably have been more covert. I mean, there have been some minor things like, um, you know, being on a job, uh, where, you know, a lot of the leadership was, uh, you know, Caucasian predominantly. So, you know, you get kind of <laughs> treated a different way, you know, um, and even, uh, my most previous job where I was working at, um, you know, the college, and a lot of the leadership there was Caucasian, even though that was a mix. But I remember being in some circles where it was like, okay, you know, I'm obviously the only uh <laughs> black yeah. guy, you know. And so you feel kind of awkward and, you know, you get some kind of looks, you know, people look at you a certain way sometimes, you know, like, who's yeah. this guy? Like, who does he think he is? Or uh-huh. what is he doing in here? Yeah. You know, so it can feel weird sometimes. But um I don't know. I, I don't think I've had a lot of... Uh, overtly egregious racial and I mean that might be due partially to the fact that you know you're like light bright like, <laughs> and they already look at you like you already close enough yeah. <laughs> we'll give you a break brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know what's funny about that though I think it was the other day when we were at church and yeah. I saw you standing beside um, beside Erica <laughs> And I was like, dang, they almost the same color. <laughs> In my mind, I was thinking that. In my mind, I was thinking that. And I yeah. was like, but the thing about it, though, when I was thinking that, I was like, how could a person be saying that something wrong with you when you almost look the same as right. them? Like, yeah. what kind of sense does that make? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's stupid. And everyone's getting, <laughs> like, everyone wants to look like ethnic now like or like darker skin, like dyeing their hair. They, like, <laughs> women are, like, thickening their eyebrows and, mm-hmm. like, they, they, people are going to tanning beds. Like, people want to look exotic. Please and expound on that. It's hilarious because it's wow. just exactly. like, oh my goodness. Please like, expound <laughs> on that because we need to hear this from a Caucasian woman's perspective. No, it's, I mean, you just see it in like the media, like the Kardashians, like all this. Like, mm. everyone just wants to look like they want to look like they're either mixed or they're some other ethnicity besides Caucasian. Mm. Yeah. Because it's just like, it's more exotic, it's more beautiful. And like, I think that is like the trend of where it's going. And it's just so ironic considering all, you know, the oppression that African-American people have dealt with. And now it's like <laughs> people are like want to emulate them, mm-hmm. their style, their, mm-hmm. the way they look. So um, let me, let me clarify something too. That's definitely happening here in America. But let me tell you something really interesting. When I was 16 years old, I went to Germany. It was my first time leaving the country. Mm -hmm. And when I went there, this was, I didn't know what to expect. But my mindset was, this is where Hitler's from. Mm. So in my mind, I was thinking I was going to encounter racism there Mm -hmm. because of Hitler. When I got there, I encountered the complete opposite. Wow! I was treated like I was 
Tom Cruise or somebody like that. <laughs> literally. Yep. Yep. That's literally. Yeah. Oh. I went there to the high school. There was a high school there. And <clears throat> when I got there, and yo, I'm just, it is what it is. Okay. The girls were on me. Okay. Yeah. It just was <laughs> what it was. Okay. And I had all these girls that were writing me notes and stuff. Cause you know, when you're in high school, you passing notes around and stuff. They were passing all kinds of notes to me. <laughs> um, do you like me? I like you. Stuff like that, right? And I was like, <laughs> the classic. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? And so the funny thing was, like, I was invited to all the parties that were going on. They were wow. like, can you come to my party? We having a party at my house. You want to come over? You know, it was like everybody was inviting me, right? And then when I would get to the party, Somebody would say, well, you know, Ina likes you. And I'm like, who is Ina? And then they'll be pointing to her. I'm like, oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? Or some, whoever, whatever the name was. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like, I never, first of all, I never, ever experienced that in my life until I yeah. went to Germany. Mm. When I was in America, I was treated like an outcast, Yeah, to be honest. Whether you were African-American, Caucasian, it didn't even matter. I was treated like an outcast here in America. Mm. When I went there, treated like I was a superstar or something. Wow. I didn't even want to leave there. <laughs> Literally, I did not want to come back to America. And not one time did I experience racism over there. Wow. Mm. And I remember one time, and you know, just so y'all know, because, I, you know, we the point of our show is we address the taboo from a biblical view. And so there's some real things that we're going to say on this show, and you just got to be open to that. It's going to be real, okay? So there's a word in German. <clears throat> it's their word for, it's one of their words, let me say it like that, for black person, right? Mm -hmm. N-E-G-E-R is how it's spelled. Mm -hmm. So I remember when I was like, someone asked me some kind of question, I was like, and I'm, I'm going to just say it in German, how they say it. Ich bin ein Neger. That's how it would sound. And he was like, no, do not say that. And I was like, what? That's what this says in the dictionary. He was like, no, 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 no. Schwarz. Schwarz. And Schwarz means black. black. Yeah. That's the for the color black. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was like, but that's what it says in the book. <laughs> he was like, do not use that word. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, I believe you. I just, I won't say that word anymore. But then there was a, like, then they also said, um, I guess back then, you know, cause you know, you may or may not know this, Erica, but African Americans have gone through iterations of what they call themselves. Do you know that? <laughs> not really. Okay. Well, it started from slavery. So, but after slavery, there was colored. Mm -hmm. So that was like, What's up with the coloreds? You know, that's what they would call anybody African-American. Yeah. Um, another word that got introduced later was Afro-American. <laughs> then there was black, because they didn't call us black right away. They didn't. That was not the word for our group of people, so to speak. Um, but it wasn't until, like, I think around the 50s or 60s or something like that when they started saying black. And that's when the whole black pride and black is beautiful and all that kind of stuff came out. Mm -hmm. Okay. And really all these things were uh, a way to find uh, the good of who you were as an African-American yeah. instead of what was negatively put on you. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that was why that's part of the reason why there's been the different iterations of what African-Americans call themselves. And now, as you can see, now people are saying African-American, yeah. which in a way is no different from if you say Italian-American, you know what I'm saying? Polish-American, Irish-American. Mm -hmm. It's just that in America, they've made it so like it's such a um, I don't even know what the word would be for this. It's like mm -hmm. such a big deal about what African-Americans call themselves or something like that. You know right. what I mean? Like, it's been such an emphasis placed on that. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I guess part of it is, I mean, think about it. Like, <clears throat> if you had if you had Irish, Italian, French, 
German, all these people brought and enslaved together. They're from different countries, different tribes, if you will, different nations, but they're all put under one name and they're saying, well, you're the whatever. Um, I'm going to just say white, uh, white Australians or something. I don't know. I'm just, just making yeah. up something, right? But we're all from different places. So how are you going to say we're all the white? We are the white Australians, but we're from different countries. So how are we put on a lump, lump together? You see what I'm saying? Because when you think about Africa, this is another thing about the ignorance of some Americans. They'll be calling Africa a country. Right. And yeah. it's a continent. Right. <laughs> and it's huge. Exactly. Yeah. It is it's so massive. big. Yeah. <laughs> I think it fits several continents within it if you put them together, you know? Yeah. So it's like, mm. really? Seriously? Like, African Americans? I mean, maybe you said Ghanaian American or uh, Egyptian American or Moroccan American. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But because here's the thing, and this is the only reason why in that regard, that it makes sense. And I said that with a quote unquote, by the way, is because if nobody knows where they're from, then what else can you say other than African? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Right. Right. We just a mixed up bunch of people. Most of us don't have a clue what our actual heritage is. Um, Because they were shipping our family members all over the country we got family in different places that we don't even know that is family. Yeah. Um, they made African Americans do horrible things to one another. Mm-hmm. I'm even, I'm talking about even when it came down to what you were talking about earlier, but you were saying it from the biblical side, but incest. Oh, yeah. They made African Americans do that in slavery. They made them do that. Mm-hmm. Then they split up families. Did you know that? They split families up. They yeah. would send a father here, mother there, children here, and they would never see each other again in life. Right. So when we talk about why some African-Americans might have some kind of an anger underneath, these are just some of the reasons. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And what were you going to say, Justin? Now, now you just called me to think about something because... What in the world are we actually saying when we say someone is an American? Because that really doesn't hold any value or identity. Because the only people who could be considered American, and even the term America was a term the colonists used to classify the land. I don't know what it was called prior to that, Mm -hmm. what the natives called it. But um, what does that mean? Because if you think about it technically... We're not African Americans. I mean, in one sense, we could call it, we could be called African Caucasians. I mean, if you really think about what we're mm-hmm. mixed with, but yeah. what does American mm-hmm. actually mean? It doesn't really yeah. mean anything. I mean, it doesn't because you yeah. know you have Germans, yeah. you have um, um, Russians, or and even I'm sure there are specific specifications within Russia. But um, you know, it gets down specific. So like American, really, because you don't have any races that naturally came out of what we call America except for the natives and they aren't I'm and sure they're they different nations as well right? exactly <laughs> so they're different nations that's right. what we call them the uh, Cherokee nation or the Navajo nation and stuff like that yeah they call them nations right I believe they think they came from Asia actually on the Bering Strait mm-hmm. so the Native Americans actually came from Asia mm. well they definitely have some kind of yeah they definitely have some that came from there mm-hmm. but also if you go to certain parts of the Americas you will find that they have African features you can definitely see it you can yeah. see it in artwork you can see it in you know certain things that they do their customs and stuff like that because there's a book you might not have heard of it's called they came before Columbus mm. For anybody out there who wants to know a little bit about history, look that book up. <laughs> they came before Columbus. Wow. And it's talking about how the Africans sailed from Africa to what we call the Americas. Really? Yes. I did not know that. Yes. Wow. See, and this is stuff. <laughs> Unfortunately, in America, our, and this is the this is the best way for me to say it, Erica. You may or may not have heard this term before, but 
a lot of things have been whitewashed in America. Mm -hmm. Um, there's things that about our history that they don't ever tell us in, in high school, middle school, nothing because they don't want us to know. Mm -hmm. One of those things, I'll just give an example. Now, some of these things that I might mention, they might be in some history books that kids have read in high school or something. I don't know. I'm not in high school. I don't know what they teach now. I really don't know. However, when I was in high school, there weren't many things said about African-Americans other than they were enslaved. And right. then all of a sudden that turn arose up against slavery. And there was some about abolitionists and you know what I'm saying? Like, and then there was Harriet Tubman and then there was Frederick Douglass. Those are the only people that I know. Yeah. And then there's Martin Luther King Jr. And maybe Malcolm X they might talk about. Maybe. My point is that they very much sweep African-American culture under the rug. Like, right. that's not even significant. We don't need to talk about that too much. We just talk about the fall founding fathers yeah. like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. And, you know what I'm saying? Like, they'll talk about that so readily and so openly and about the how we beat the British and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But the things that really, really matter about our history beyond that, they don't talk about. It's like they skip over stuff and intentionally ignore or leave it out. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and that's why, for those that don't know who have never heard this before, um, when you look at why, because some I know there's Caucasians that ask this question. Why is there a BET? If you even know what oh. BET is, BET, for those that don't know who are not from America or whatever, maybe not from an urban area, is black entertainment television. Why does that exist? <laughs> Why does uh, HBCU exist? Uh, historically black college or university. Why do these things exist? Mm -hmm. Do you know why, Erica? Because you guys, I, I don't know. African-Americans weren't given that place, so need to be honored, like Black History Month and stuff like that, because of everything being so whitewashed. It's like, we we need these institutions and we need these to study, to know, and to bring it back to life and not hide it under the rug. Mm -hmm. That's a good answer for somebody that didn't really know. Yeah. I like that. She was able to figure that out right on the spot. Now, if you ask most of the people who I've asked that question who were Caucasian, they didn't have a clue. As a matter of fact, they were kind of offended that there was a such thing <laughs> as a black entertainment television or something like that, right? Yeah. What I they like that's so just like, I'm embarrassed for my race for that. Like, <laughs> I'm just, don't, don't associate me with that, please. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. And, you know, the point of us having this conversation is because we need to talk about the hard things. Right. And we need to bring out the solutions and all that kind of stuff. Right. So here's the thing. In America, for those that don't know, who don't know the history of America and stuff like that, because the people that we call African-Americans were excluded from things, they were prevented from doing things. They were prohibited from doing things. They had to institute their own thing that was separate from white people, basically. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was always about they had to separate from Caucasians because Caucasians would not include them. They just were like, no, you're not going to be over here with us. That's why black entertainment television came out so that there would be an outlet for African-American people to have. That's why HBCUs came into existence because they would not let African-Americans into colleges and universities mostly. Most, country, uh, most um, universities and colleges would not allow them in. And of course, there will always be that person that says, well, no, there was this college over here. And, and I'm like, you know, when people do that, it really bothers me. And I'm going to tell you why. Because it's like you're basically trying to undermine the reason for these things that exist in America. The thing is, is that African-Americans did not decide when they came out of slavery that, oh, we're just going to start only black 
colleges and nobody else can come there except for black people. You know what I'm saying? And it wasn't like they were just like, we're going to do all this stuff separate from them because we don't want nothing to do with them. What it was is they were forced to do it. They had to do it to survive. And you know what's so ironic? So there's this place, I think it's in Oklahoma. You know what I'm talking about? All right, I'm going to get ready to tell you. So there's this place in Oklahoma, I believe. I'm pretty sure it's Oklahoma. They called it, um, uh, well, I don't remember what it was called. Cause, okay, so just so y'all know, there's a couple of things that I know about certain things in history, but I'm not sure if these two things go together. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna say there was a Black Wall Street that they called it. Uh-huh. And then there was this place that I know of that was, I think, in Oklahoma. And again, I don't remember exactly what it was called, but it was a place where they had banks, stores, all this kind of stuff. And it was thriving. It was really doing well. And then all of a sudden, some group of Caucasian people realized that this was thriving and everything and they wanted to destroy it. And that's exactly what they did. They came in, they burned it all up. They burned up all the businesses and all that. And after that point, the African-Americans, they just gave up on it and they didn't do it ever again. Mm-hmm. <sighs> <laughs> yeah. As I'm saying this, I'm trying not to cry, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, it's, mm. it is super intense. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Baltimore too, like, goes through so much like the city is just like crying out for that and there's so much potential in baltimore to be that like what you said like prosperous and booming and you know there is a lot of diversity here so it's just but you know the powers that be (laughs) (laughs) that's why i hope that the church can really revive baltimore and yeah right you know and and just to kind of bring the other side, because I know a lot of people listen might think we turned into a a black podcast, but no, it's like I think it's I think like on the other side of it, that's why racial awareness, I think, and cultural awareness is so important because if we don't appreciate the achievements of people from various cultures, you know, like you said, we're going to be ignorant. You know, we're going to grow up blind because, like, even looking on the other side of the coin, um, there were a lot of um you know, Caucasian individuals who were actually um, uh, stepping stones and, and, and founders of um, a lot of equal rights. Like without them, we wouldn't have been able to, you know, get the emancipation. And um, and even in other movements where you think of like, um, you know, women's rights and a lot of things, there have been powerful individuals on, you know, all sides and from different racial backgrounds. And I think just having that awareness and being able to honor and celebrate those people, you know, in those cultures is important because then you kind of take a look. Because, you know, like on the other side, you know, I see so many, you know, people of, uh, I don't even know what to call us anymore, <laughs> you know, African descent, you know, I will yeah, say like, yeah. you know, people of African descent, you know, we can swing on the other side of pendulum and become so, you know, black focus or whatever we call it. And it's like, it's just like reverse, you know, we just try to flip the pyramid, you know, now we going to be in charge, you know what I'm saying? And so it's, 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 it's interesting, but I think we're at a pivotal moment because the world sees that, you know, there needs to be more reform in the area of racial equality and sexual equality. And, you know, um, and I think that the church is the only entity that has the answer for these things because, you know, like you said earlier in Christ, none of that exists, but still mm-hmm. all of that is recognized. No, well, all right, so it exists, but it's not the focus of our of our lives anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it's mind blowing because I know my experience is like because I grew up, you know, in predominantly black churches all my life. You know, the church, my mom's church was predominantly, you know, black and um and uh, uh, most of the churches I went to after that were predominantly black and um, you know, my most even though I did start to visit some churches, I remember it was crazy because um, I had gone to this one church, which was um, far up in the, 
I can't say Randallstown, but it was far up Liberty Road. Like you had to keep keep going. Not so far as Deer Park, but it was it was kind of up there. And I remember it was a church where it was um it was it was probably predominantly white, but it did have a couple of you know black people in it. And um I'm kind of just using these terms just to like yeah yeah it, I know, you know? <laughs> but um it was honestly it was the first place. You know, the people, they, they were walking, you know, they were healing people. And it was such a, it was the first place where I could, it was the only place, actually, now that I think of it, it was the only church and the first church where I had ever felt the tangible presence of the love of God. <clears throat> wow. Like, even to this day, I can't remember any other church. And that's not to say it's not there, because I could definitely say the church would go to now, you know, it's definitely a pre- the love of God is there. But mm. that was the only church I've ever been to where I felt it tangibly, like in the atmosphere. And I think that says a lot for, you know, racial diversity, diversity, because I, mm. it's only in Christ where you can see people of so many different backgrounds, cultures and stuff. As soon as as they meet they're united just because mm. of their love of Christ. Yeah. You know, that's that's a miracle. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing thing. And so I think that's um, you know, this gospel that we're sharing, it's such a powerful tool. And, you know, that's that's why I was actually um because it was crazy because I actually got into an argument with a friend a while ago because they were trying to support the um the um What's that movement? Um, they call it now the um. The LGBTQ. No, the black movement. It's called the um. The Black Panther. Not the Black Panther. It's really Black recent. Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Oh, yeah. Right, right. Black Lives Matter. She was really into Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. and she got kind of offended of some things I was saying because I was basically saying that Black Lives Matter is looking at it from the wrong perspective. And it was like, oh well, you know, Christ was about social change and social reform, and it's so easy to try to force our agenda and put Christian language around it and realize that it's not kingdom centered, you know, it's worldly centered with Christ's name on it, you know, and there have been a lot of things like that because I was telling them that, you know, if you, if you research Black Lives Matter, the founders of it were um, federal criminals. They killed a police officer and they, they taught a lot of stuff that was, that was crazy. Like they went to some stuff, some crimes and, and violence and a lot of different things that they did. And, um, um, and I was exposing that, you know, and I was saying, I was saying, you know, this not Christ center, it's worldly center. And they got kind of offended. But I think like just that, you know, getting back to that point is that I think the more we center everything around Christ, the more we get to see like how beautiful race is and racial diversity, because it's, a, um, you know, I think that's why the gospel is really powerful in that regard. So. That's good that you brought that out because, um, and I just want to make sure that I reiterate with you what you said about um, this is about all ethnic groups coming together. The reason why we were even basically, I guess you could say, concentrating on the Caucasian versus African descent uh, situation is because that's a very real thing here in America that yeah. is the most whatever the word would be for that, like, I guess, um, perpetrated, maybe you could say, mm-hmm. um, type of situation in America where you don't really hear about, oh, man, these people have something against the Chinese or or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, so the point I'm making is that that's the main reason why that is kind of like, and in all honesty, really, I feel, and I could this could just be me, but I really feel that if the day were to come that African people of African descent and people of Caucasian descent came together in a strong way, that would unite all the rest of them because Mm -hmm. it's like, that's like the biggest divide Mm -hmm. in America. Like what's kind of funny is that you'll find, I mean, I guess this is really, you could almost say this is kind of applicable a lot of ways, but, I, I remember, um, I don't remember where it was, but I remember seeing, um, some, I was, I was at a restaurant. It was Popeyes. I'll just let you know it was Popeyes. Mm-hmm. And I saw some Asians there. And in my mind, I was like, man, that's, I was thinking about it. I was like, hmm, <laughs> like you would, I would not normally think of, Asians as going to a restaurant like that, just to be honest. Right. But I was like, 
but it makes sense. They always cooking fried chicken for the people in the hood. <laughs> and then I was talking, I talk to people that are Chinese. They're like, "Yo, I love fried chicken." You know what I'm saying? Like, but in America, it's like there's this thing about the stereotype of fried chicken is something that only African Americans are associated with. I'm like, right? There's a lot of people that love fried chicken. It's just. Whatever. You know what I'm saying? But the point is, is that in that in that moment, when I looked at them, I was like, I just had to think about it a little bit. Like, at first, it, it looked kind of strange to me. And I was like, wow, like, okay. And then I thought about it some more. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Like, but it was almost like my, I guess, my own type of initial response to something, thinking like, that doesn't look like normal. Like that's not the normal <laughs> thing that I think of, you know what I'm saying? Right. And so, but my point is that like a lot of people have stereotypes. Okay. We have a stereotype in our mind about what a certain kind of person is going to be like. Yeah. Until we get to know them. Like it's kind of funny because <laughs> um, I've, I've done this at times but I'm not going to give away my secret. I'm just going to say that there's some times where I've just kind of observed um, how like certain people like will introduce themselves to each other or something like that, or how, you know, um, how, what kind of things they talk about and stuff like that. Right. <clears throat> and it's kind of funny because when I observe these kind of things, I'll see how, like, if I, if you see like, uh, let's say for instance, two, um, people of African descent, guys that that will greet each other. There's a certain way that they typically will greet each other. And for those that have never heard this term, they call it dapping up. Okay, <laughs> and a dap up is like when you you clasp your hands in a smack, right. and you know, and and then you kind of like lean in with the with the shoulder into the other guy. You know, that's typically how they do it. Right. But the funny thing, going back to something you said, it's like, and it's also kind of combining what I was talking about. And I didn't even finish that point about Germany. I'm going to tell you some more about that. But the thing is, it's like, you kind of, well, if you're coming from an urban perspective, you will probably expect that, right? But if you see two Caucasian guys meet, you're expecting a handshake. Right. It's just the way you're expecting it, it to go. Right. Sometimes, though, you come across those ones that either grew up around African-Americans mm-hmm. or they've been around them since they've been adults or whatever. And they've just learned that, you know, this is the way you greet or whatever. I'm, it, but it became normal and natural to them or whatever. It wasn't like some foreign thing. Like, you know what I'm saying? And this goes back to, like, how we were talking about um, if you get to know people instead of judging them by their skin color, that you get to know them, you actually get to learn about them, you talk to them and stuff like that. And there are things that actually become, you become, um, the walls go down, you know? Mm-hmm. You've experienced that before, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, you just realize that, because if you have these overarching stereotypes, mm-hmm. But if you actually get to know people on an individual basis, you realize that those, that everyone's different. Mm -hmm. That just because their skin is a certain color doesn't mean that this stereotype applies. Exactly. And you realize, oh, maybe they're not into hip hop or maybe whatever. Like, you know, you realize that each individual is different. Yeah. And and you just see, you you can relate to them more and you build a relationship and that builds a bridge Mm -hmm. and opens your mind. I agree. Mm -hmm. And that's the one thing I told somebody this uh, not long ago. I said, the reason why uh, someone who's from, let's say, Idaho or something like that, that's a Caucasian, could be possibly um, just sounding ignorant to concerning African-Americans is because they've never met one in their life. Yeah. yeah. They've only been in a predominantly white area 
or let's just say what it is. They <laughs> it's only been white people around it their whole life. They grew up in a white town, you know. And this is kind of some another observation I made. Now, if there is something out there different, you could tell me. You can email me or whatever. Tell me differently. I'll I'll be more than happy to be you know um, to accept it or whatever. But in America, I've never heard of an all African American town or all any kind of town, but I have heard of an all-white town, many places, Mm -hmm. with their own mayors and all this other kind of stuff, right? Yeah. It's ironic, though. A lot of those times, that's out way out in somewhere like Idaho or Iowa or something like that, where nobody (laughs) wants to go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But I just found that to be interesting. Like, you can, that would be normal to somebody, but then to somebody else is like, what the heck? How is that possible? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, <laughs> I just, I mean, the way I grew up, I could never even imagine a whole city of just one type of person. <laughs> that just would be weird to me. Yeah. I just can't see that. Not only that, but, like, um, <laughs> so going back to what I was saying earlier about the uh, when I was in Germany, right? Um, so the one thing that... Uh, I found out, well, okay, so, <clears throat> well, let me just, <clears throat> it wasn't actually at that time, but years later, and this was like actually last year, I was at a conference. I met a guy who was from Switzerland, and ironically, he and I just sat beside each other. Like, I saw him earlier that day, and then it just so happened that where I sat, he came down, and he happened, his, his wife was already there. I didn't even know that was his wife. And then he sat down in between us. And I was like, this is the same guy I saw earlier. I was like, okay, that's mm-hmm. interesting. And then as the service goes on, um, at some point, the the um, man who was speaking, he says something about, I guess, um, going speaking to your neighbor and something about praying for your neighbor and stuff like that, and about whatever it is that God has put on your heart, something like that. I can't remember exactly what was said, but when we sp- when we spoke, he spoke first. He was like, I just got to let you know that um, I think it's real cool that we sat beside each other because I've prayed for God to send me a black friend. Yeah. Now, he's from Switzerland, right? Okay. He said, man, because when I was growing up, I just thought, you know, Black guys were cool. I wanted to be black when I was growing up. I wanted to be like you because you're cool. You talk cool. You walk cool. He was just saying all this stuff. And I was like, it made me feel kind of like funny at first. Not not saying in a way that was like, you know, I don't know how to explain it. It was almost like not knowing how to receive that kind of compliment, basically. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, that's not something you hear in America. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But again, this is a guy who speaks German. Mm. He's basically of German descent, even though he's from Switzerland. And so what I felt in that moment, I was like, dang, is this just something like. I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, what's up with the German people or the German speaking people, whatever? What is it with them and their relationship with people of African descent? What's up with that? Because. I don't understand why that they look at African-Americans or African descent people like that. I don't know what it is. Even to this day, I don't know what it is. I really don't. But I know it exists. But the ironic thing about it is that, and I'm not, and and when I say this, please, I'm not, it's not like I'm looking for some, you know, Caucasian people to be, you know, lifting me up as as if I'm something, whatever. That's not what I'm this is about right now, what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the fact that they would see me as being so special to them that they're like, man, I want to be around you. I want to be your friend. Can you be my friend? Can we hang out? You know, all this kind of stuff. Why don't we see that in America? You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is a real question that really should be looked at by people like why is it that we can't see each other that way why is it that i can't be like man can you be my friend you're you're a cool person da, 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 right and you're of another ethnic group why can't we be like that as a whole see obviously our group here is like that okay but i'm saying like as a whole when we look at america yeah why aren't more people like that 
why is it that they have such a division? Yeah. I, you know, that's a good question. I, you know, thinking about it, and then I want to say something, something you said earlier, but, um, thinking about, it, I think honestly, and, um, it's crazy because we were, um, um, we were, um, when I say we, I mean, Holy Host, um, our, you know, our band, we had, um, we were invited to speak at an, uh, an event called, um, Reconciliation and the Arts. And it was hosted by, um, international organization, um, YWAM, but it was the, um, Baltimore branch of YWAM, mm-hmm. you know, run up by Christian and Devin Potler and, um, you know, great people. And, um, they had invited us after seeing us, you know, doing music at, the, at church, you know, they were like, who are these people, you know, and they invited us out to speak on a panel about, um, you know, our experience with, you know, different, you know, urban outreach and things in the city and stuff like that. And, but the conference really blew us away because they had people from different parts of the world. They had one man from the Middle East. They had a man from Africa and he had people from um, other places, Europe and stuff. And, um, it was really, really interesting because each one of them was speaking on how they had brought or seen God bring um, reconciliation to their different countries um, in different ways or at different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. And it was really amazing. Um, but <clears throat> there was this one. Um, I mean, the stories were really, 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 really great. There was this one lady who's actually um, she she's the she's the head of this organization called. Uh, be the bridge and um they actually deal specifically with racial reconciliation and um her story was powerful because of uh it was crazy because the way she grew up um she grew up you know in a certain um denomination which was predominantly black you know at least in her part mm-hmm. of town or whatever but um when she you know eventually God had told her to go to this one church which was predominantly white and their style of worship, their style of doing things was just so far from what she was used to doing. Mm. And it was like, she did not want to go for the church. <laughs> she was like, I do not want to go. But God told her to. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, it was powerful. You got her story, but her her story is so powerful because eventually she 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 was able to bridge the gap between her and you know that um and bring racial reconciliation in her congregation mm-hmm. and transformation. And um, back to your question, it just made me think of um, I, I honestly think that America has um oh that's why I brought that up. So one of the guys at the conference was talking about how um God had given him a vision of his. Um, of his nation mm-hmm. of why there was so much trouble and he said the vision um God gave him was basically something like a parent and a, and a child and like the parent had abandoned a child and um and something like that but he said basically um a certain ethnicity in that country was mistreating another you know ethnicity and so it causes great divide but when that ethnicity came and actually confessed came out some leaders came out and confessed that they had wronged them um, it like brought everything out into the open and there was like this great like reconciliation that happened. And I, I forget the whole story, but I wish um I'll go back and see it because I think it might be beneficial to some people listen yeah. to it because it was really powerful. But it made me think about your question because um I honestly think that um confession and acknowledgement and repentance is one of the biggest um gateways into reconciliation. And that's one of the things I think this country has been hiding from yeah. because you have a lot of people in power who um they don't even really want to acknowledge mm-hmm. slavery, you know, or acknowledge racism or anything like that mm-hmm. in a way that's saying, hey, we did this and it was wrong and we are legitimately sorry. You know, yeah. it's it's I think that says a lot about the heart of um, America right now. You know, it's unconfessed and because we live in a generation where people don't want to call sin, sin. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Exactly. And I think it's a reflection of that underlying, you know that underlying um, thing is that we would never come out and actually said, Hey guys, we really effed up. You know, we did some really mm-hmm. wicked things and mm-hmm. we are, we are so, so, so very sorry. And I think at the heart of it, that's what really needs to be dealt with. As long as America is unwilling to confess and not just that, but a lot of atrocities, but especially that since we're on the topic mm-hmm. until that happens, I don't think there's going to be any major major shift but i think a part of like us driving towards that is really advancing the gospel in a way that brings these things to center and shows that reconciliation is possible because i mean for me at least i know 
This being a part of a Christian community has shown me that reconciliation is not only possible, but racial transformation is possible where we actually see people in a whole new light. So we not only appreciate that differences, we actually um, like you welcome. said, we welcome them, we yeah. honor them, we're excited for them. Like, <clears throat> I've never seen that in any community ever until yeah. I, you know, became a part of a diverse Christian community. And I think that says a lot about the church of our responsibility because I don't think it's normal to walk into a church and see all the people of one predominant race. I don't think that's that's God's not will. normal. That's not normal in America. That shouldn't you be know? normal. Yeah, and I've I've also said the same thing. Right, I've said it like this: if you in a country like Ghana where it's basically going to be Ghanaians, then yeah, I can understand you got all Ghanaian church, right? But if you're in America where it's all kinds of ethnic groups, to have a church where it's predominantly one ethnicity, to me shows that, I feel that that shows closed-mindedness. Yeah, I don't feel that that church in America has an excuse for being one ethnic group. No excuse. Yeah. Unless you live in Idaho or Iowa where there's only one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you get a pass over there. But, I mean, if you're not there, if it's not Hong Kong, if it's not, you know what I'm saying? Like, come on, man. You got yeah. all these different groups of people around you and you don't have nobody of any other ethnic group with you. That's a problem to me. Right. And so it's like years ago, I believe that the Lord kind of like set me up to be able to say, okay, you know what? Um, being one group of people, it's not cool. You know what I'm saying? I mean, as a young child at the age of eight, I was exposed to what was, it wasn't as diverse as I would like to have been. I mean, now, now I wouldn't like it like that, but it was what I was involved with at the time and me being exposed to that and then having me having that positive experience of being around Caucasian people who were showing me genuine love, who my parents used to go to their houses and they had genuine friendships with people there. And we would play with their kids while they were talking and doing their grown up stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like to me, yeah, that was a very good experience for me to have at a young age so that even if I did experience something negative when I got older, I wasn't like, yeah, well, I don't like these people because blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Um, and um, it's kind of funny going back to something you said earlier, Erica. Tongue Um, When you were talking about growing up around just Caucasian, basically, right? Well, it's funny because, and then you said how you came to Baltimore and then you felt like you were like, whoa, I'm the only one or something like that, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's kind of like how it was for me when I was in the Navy. I mean, in the Navy, just for those that don't know, I was in a nuclear engineering program. Yeah. And in the nuclear engineering field in the Navy, number one, you're the cream of the crop. Mm. They consider you to be the most intelligent people in the Navy, everybody does. They're just like, yo, they're the nukes. <laughs> That's that. You know what I'm saying? Um, but the thing about it is among that group of people, it was a few. And, you know, relatively speaking, it was a few African-Americans, even less Asians mm. and any other kind of ethnic group you could think of. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But it was like probably ninety seven percent Caucasian or something like that. I mean, it was just crazy wow. out, like just the ratio was crazy. But the thing about it, so in my whole career in my field since then has been like that mostly. Most of my career, that's what I experienced and that's what I was used to. So I didn't know anything different, and so. When I've gone into situations where, um, where maybe the numbers were different, it shocked me. I'm like, "Ooh, wow, okay, this is different here." You know what I'm saying? And it's like funny how I can have that kind of reaction based on what I was always used to in my field. So I can imagine what it's like for somebody of another ethnic group going into an environment where they are the ones outnumbered now. Or whatever. Yeah. And so 
the like I said, man, I mean, the one thing I love about um, what I'm seeing in certain churches these days is that there is that ethnic mixing and intermingling and friendships and all this kind of stuff and even marriages and all that, man. I love it. Like, yeah, it to me, that is an outward showing of God's love and, yeah. and reconciliation even. Yeah. So it's it's so interesting because uh, let me see two things. So one thing, it's crazy that the first thing God said was not good was sameness. He mm. said the man was alone and it was not good. Mm. So he extracted the female from him and it became good, very good mm. in his sight. That's just amazing to me. Like mm. God and like it just it's a lot to say that. But then it goes back to something you said earlier where you said, um, like how can uh, a lot of reasons? Uh, one of the main reasons people are probably racist because they've never met, you know, such such person. It's crazy because it goes back to the story of this man named Daryl Davis. Mm. And you may know, you may not. But um, he was actually he's a blues musician, but um. He's actually saved. Um, well, I, I guess you can use the word saved. He's actually brought over 200 individuals out of the Ku Klux Klan. He's an mm. African. Now, I'm going to tell you what's wow. He's an African-American man, and his story is incredible. I remember he said his first... Um, his first encounter was... His first thing that happens that... Because he said the same thing. He was like, how can... Oh, yeah. He was like, you know, how can somebody hate me when they've never met me? You know, that was his thing. So, um, I forgot what kind of business he ran, but, um, he said he told his, uh, secretary to call, um, some prominent Ku Klux Klan member. Like he was really high up in the Klan. And, um, he said, um, tell him that you such and such a person wants an interview. He said, but don't tell him. That I'm a black man. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. He's got some faith to do that. I know. Uh, it's so funny. So, um, you know, he, so he invites a guy to his house. And, uh, <laughs> and the guy comes. Oh, and of course, he's, a, he's a, assisted by like his bodyguard, you know, in the claim. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, at first, as soon as he opens the door, he's like, <laughs> you know, the guy kind of jumps back, you know, because it's kind of like, like what in the world? And you see one of his bodyguards kind of reach at him. Uh-huh. But he was like, you know, he was like, hey, welcome, sir. You know, I'm, you know, Daryl Davis. You know, I'm the one who invited you. You know, come on in. And you see, apprehensively, the guy comes in and, you know, he sits down and he talks to the guy. He's, he's like interviewing him saying, you know, I just want to know about your belief. You know, I just want to understand, you know. So he listens to the guy explain his his belief, you know, that white people are the superior race, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And he said he just listened to him, you know, um, and they talk and they exchange belief. And he, and he said um, that the guy, he made it rep- evident. He said, you know, um, I still think, you know, that you're inferior to me. He, he just wanted to make that clear or whatever. So um, mm-hmm. Daryl Day was like, you know, I understand, you know, he's like, thank you for your time and whatnot. And so he invited him again. So basically, long story shorter, he kept inviting this man to his house. And he eventually noticed that um, at first he came with just one bodyguard and then he started to come without any bodyguards. <laughs> and eventually he came without even being invited. He would contact Daryl <laughs> and ask to come to his house. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. I'm thinking I'm getting this confused. So okay. did the African-American go to the Caucasian house? No, the Caucasian man. The clan oh, member came okay. to his, his house. house. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. So eventually the clan leader, he he started coming on his own okay. to Daryl's house. Okay. And, um, <laughs> And they just built this friendship, and um, and Daryl would also go to his clan gatherings. Now this, <laughs> this is what is great because this is it's just, his story Woo. is so powerful, man. He said he would go to the clan gatherings and just you know just see what it was about. And um, he said at one of the gatherings, the clan guy said um, he was like um, he was like, and yeah, and I, and my and my and my nigger friend over there, I respect him more than some of y'all. <laughs> He's more real than some of you um, brothers, some of you, you know. And it was crazy because he had such a high respect for Daryl, uh, yeah. and that friendship grew. And eventually, um, he just realized when I guess he was like, you know, how can I be racist against this man when he's been nothing but good to me? Mm. You know what I'm saying? And he came out came out of the clan and Daryl has a story of bringing over 200 people. And it just made me think about what you said. Like, mm. I think that us as like, as being from different racial backgrounds and, and even being believers, like our duty is just to engage, to become friends, you know, to mm. those who may be outcasts or those who are different than us. It says so much because I think a lot of people like, they can't dislike us. They really just don't know us. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. Wow. That is a powerful story right yeah. there, man. So did they come to Christ or they just came out of the clan? 
Well, I think they just came out of the clan. Oh, okay. I don't really know their beliefs or. Okay. Yeah. Wow, but it's still powerful though. Yeah. Like, I can't even fathom that. Like that's yeah. really wild, man. <laughs> so, Erica, being that you are from the Caucasian background, have you ever come across clans type people or have you ever been in those kind of situations where people felt comfortable enough to talk to you about other people negatively when it comes to their race? I mean, not really like that. I remember, um, my parents taught me, they were just like, you know, everyone as a human being, like respect everyone. Type okay. of thing. Um, so that's always something that I grew up with. Okay. Um, I will say that in high school, like me and my friends, we thought like, black guys were cool like we wanted to <laughs> so like we always wanted to like hang out with them and stuff uh, and, like i mean that was always my perspective yeah. on african-american people was just like that they were cool and yeah. that like oh man i'm not cool enough to like hang out with them yeah. type of thing <laughs> but like not necessarily anything i mean i'm sure there was people outside my friend group that i saw maybe saying racist comments or, or whatnot but mm. at least the people that i hung out with were you know we wanted to hang out with African American mm. people. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 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 That's cool. Mm -hmm. So, um, I know that, uh, we gotta, we're gonna have a whole lot of other things to talk about in this discussion. We're definitely not done. We have yeah. a lot more things that we can talk about. However, um, we're gonna end it at, for, uh, for now, we're gonna end it at that. We'll be picking up on this subject again. So please make sure you tune in to the new Numa Godcast. Like, share, tell all your friends about it because we're just going to get it revving. We're going to rev it up. We're just going to make it go. It's going to get hotter and hotter, you know, and better and better. So um, thank you again for joining us to the new Numa Godcast where we address the taboo from a biblical view. Peace. <laughs>